and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's a South Texan poppy poet living that hashtag middle class gay life. It's Chibi. She's a little bit Selena, a little bit JLo, and a whole lot of Pisces. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. Hi, friends. Hi, friend. Hi. Here we are again. Another week, another conversation. Always, always, always. I know. I'm just uh, always so excited, you know, um, to be talking about slam poetry and um, or just poetry in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, after a long, long day. Um, yeah. <laughs> and rushing, you're trying to find parking. And it's just, this show always like very much fills my heart. So I'm excited. Yeah for that today. I totally feel that. And you know, like slam has been on my mind a lot just because, you know, like certain scenes are starting their, their slam season. Uh, and then next month there's like this international queer slam happening in Baltimore that like, I'm going to be a part of my husband's competing in. Uh, so it's like, it's almost like we're in like slam, like like, you know, like the, the month before national sort of thing where it's like, okay, let's make sure all the travel arrangements are on things. And so like slam has been very much on my mind uh, and has always kind of been a part of like my poetry career and it's how mm-hmm. I got introduced to poetry that wasn't, you know, Robert Frost and Sylvia Plath, right? Yeah, I think definitely. I think um, even for me, you know, definitely with poetry, we got the Robert Frost, um, you know, Emily Dickinson, no, yeah, Emily yes. Dickinson, thank you, because um, I wanted to say Emma Watson, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a poet, but not talk, uh, in, not part of the canon. No, 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 like these very white traditional canons, right, yeah. um, and I think it was with Slam, that is like the first introduction I saw where people of color, mm-hmm. um, more queer people, indigenous people were really thriving in, it's because we go back into that oral type of indigenous history that we're so used to, you know, mm-hmm. and I was definitely introduced with that. Um, funny enough, in a poetry like class in UTSA or in college. And yeah, I think the first ones were like the New Arican poets, like the OG New Arican poets. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just love how Slam has been an avenue that has uh, mm-hmm. allowed, has opened doors and created opportunities uh, for people to just learn, learn and hone skills that maybe they they didn't know that they could yeah. uh, possess, and allow people to just kind of like come out of boxes and and really flourish as individuals, as performers, as writers, where um, they maybe never felt like that could be part of their lives. Uh, I know Slam did that for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm so excited to dive into conversation with our, our guest today, who definitely, you know, has has taken her experience in SLAM and allowed that to kind of like drive, even though it's kind of been like a side thing, allow that to always be part of her life and sure. uh, give so much skill and experience and everything that she's been able to give back to us through her work. So I'm really excited. Rocky, tell us about our guest. I know, me too, I'm excited. So our guest is Glory B. What? If you don't know, you're about to know. Uh, Glory B began slamming in 2012 and has competed on seven slam teams, y'all. Seven. Winning the National Group Peas Finals in 2013, 2015, 
and making final stage at NPS in 2016. She's a three-time national haiku deathmatch champion. Um, that is no easy feat. Like, yeah, no. Um, yes. And that she is a three-time finalist at Texas Grand Slam and placed sixth in the 2018 Woman of the Royal Poetry Slam. She founded Piecemeal Press and has published chapbooks by over a dozen Texas-based poets. She is a co. Uh, she also co-wrote, directed, and perf um, performed in five short plays for the annual Frontera Fest Play Festival. With four plays being named the best of fast, she has <laughs> poems published in Soren Oak Review, Open Ear, The Universe, and Contra Texas Poets Speak Out. Y'all, please welcome none other than the fabulous, amazing, y'all about to like mind blow with their fabulous look tonight, Glory B. Yeah, welcome Hi. to the stream, Glory. Hello, wow. I'm here. First of all, can I just say that you look like your hair, this outfit, this crown, everything. It's, like, <laughs> it's giving me mermaid, it's giving me fairy, it's giving me celestial, it's just just vibing from a different plane that we are just so blessed that you're coming down and I us. was really excited to get to like dress up because um i am still kind of quarantined um because of some uh family members uh that are sick and with the delta going around like uh so i'm still not going out um so it was really exciting to have a reason to put on makeup and a reason to do my hair yeah. um but yeah thank you Yes, yes. Well, you are stunting, stunting. Mm -hmm. So we're just excited to have you in this space to share space with you, uh, get to know uh, a little, a little more about you, and um, you know, hear your work, both old and, and maybe new, and uh, just and really, yeah, and just really get to know you, right? I think what we do, we definitely start off this. Um, the episode trying to get to know you obviously you're gonna be sharing intimate things about yourself you know your words and we like to just start off with asking how's your heart it could be how's your heart today this year this pandemic this pandemia or just even today <laughs> whatever you want we just want to know how your heart's been well it, it ain't been great mm -hmm. um i'll say that um it's been a hard pandemic, uh, I think, for everyone. Um, I, uh, in the first year of the pandemic, uh, I lost both my grandmothers, not to COVID, um, but um, I do think that the stress on hospitals and medical workers contributed to, um, at least in one of my grandmother's cases, um, why she passed. Um, just, I think if, uh, the nurses and doctors hadn't been as stressed by COVID as they were at the time. Uh, what yeah. what happened would have been survivable. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the end of my teaching career um, and going through a lot of changes. Uh, it's It's been really hard, honestly, the last couple of years for me. Um, and like I said, I um, live like my bubble contains someone who can't be vaccinated due to medical reasons, um, like doctor's orders until it's approved for like infants. Um, my sister can't get vaccinated and um, I live with one of her caretakers. Um, and so I have, like I have not come out of quarantine yet. So it's still just me in my apartment, hanging out, uh, video chatting most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, 
even though I am vaccinated and I, if, if, if you're following me online, like I've been advocating for everyone to get vaccinated and I uh, feel very strongly about that. Um, but it just like, it's not the kind of thing you want to take a chance with, especially yeah. having already lost two family members. Um, it's, it's not worth, you know, going to a party. It's not yeah. worth, you know, going to the bowling alley, you know, like that this is, um, it's real and it's yeah. heavy. Um, so like my heart's mostly been heavy. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm the kind of person, like, if you ask me how I am, I'm going to tell you, yeah. like it's your fault <laughs> for asking almost. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Um, on the other hand, like, um, like things have been really great with my partner. Um, I think partially because we are so sort of bubbled off, like mm-hmm. we were talking in the car the other night and it feels like it's been 10 years uh, and it's only been two. Um, so <laughs> I think it's just been a very intense two years. Um, and you're kind of constantly coming in and out of like moving from like a period of like intensity and tragedy into a period of just prolonged boring shit um <laughs> into another period of like intensity and trauma and uh it makes it really hard to just like stay at home but it also makes it really hard to leave the house like even mm-hmm. for things that like would be safe yeah yeah i think we definitely feel that um everyone's like yes it's been very difficult and and you know we i what i appreciate i think about um, these past few years is that people have been able to be more open and honest about where they truly are at. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, back, you know, before the panaderia. In the was, before times. In the before <laughs> times. It was like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Oh, okay, good. You know, and now I think we're we're definitely much more connected to ourselves and each other. I was never that mm-hmm. person. Like, <laughs> most people tell you, like, if you, like, for years, like, if you ask me how I am, I will tell you, and it's probably bad. Honestly, you know, like, uh, like, oh, I'm tired. Oh. Or a lot of be like, I'm fine. Just fine? Like, no. Like, do you understand how good fine is? Uh-huh. Like, do you understand, like, with everything that's going on, like, how amazing it is to have a day where I'm just fine? Yeah. yeah like, that's great. I would love to be fine. Yeah. Um, no. And I think, uh, I think, I feel like the world's kind of catching up to the idea that, like, social pressure to perform okayness is in itself, like, really hard to handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just as fine as fantastic. Like, yeah, if we fine can get to that. Fantastic. <laughs> get it's to that really, place. It really is. Like, I just received an email from my HR that was just like, oh, did you know October 10th is mental health like day, world like in like world global day? And they're just like, Have you been asked? Are you okay? And I'm like, wait, <laughs> first of all, are we prepared? Are we trained to ask that question? <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a lot and uh i definitely understand you know like the need for for connection and space and that was definitely one of the one of the reasons why we started this because we started the show in april of last year when like the the lockdown happened and we were like no we need to create space we need to still cultivate community we need to still be able to come together in a safe way and so that was kind of the impetus for starting this show 
uh, as a way to connect uh, because, you know, uh, I think uh, Corey Hunter says, I've seen this poet before on YouTube. Good Lord, she's a damn beast. Oh and, <laughs> you know, we are familiar with each other's work, right? And each other's poetry, which gives us clues as to uh, who the person is, but do we really know each other, right? Yeah. Uh, and so- I think Slam is this weird little community where, it's kind of like with like online friends, you know, like the joke is like, I know all of your childhood trauma, but I've never seen your legs. Um, <laughs> where it's like, I, I know all of your like deepest, darkest secrets. I know things about you your mother does not know. <laughs> and yet like, I can't, I couldn't tell you what you do for a living. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know your last name. I, in some cases, I don't even know your first name. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's get into it because that's the point is to get to know the person mm -hmm. behind the poetry. So one of the ways that we like to do just like a quick lightning round uh, to give everyone just a little taste of who you are. I mean, I feel like we've already gone deep into the sauce of conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but before that's we me. get I'm deeper. straight into the deep end. <laughs> uh, we start with a little segment called Speed Dating. So we're going to ask you a series of questions. Uh, feel free to answer them as concisely or as in-depthly as you feel is necessary to justify I'm going to try to be concise, but I'm not capable. <laughs> All right. That is okay. Uh, so first question. What was your biggest guilty pleasure from when you were a teenager? Mm. Or that maybe you loved then, but now is like a guilty pleasure. Okay, so like something I loved when I was a teenager and now I'm just like, I don't want to admit that I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if we're talking music, um, I, I was really into, uh, into Muse. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like, I will still stand by like Origins of Symmetry um, and maybe like up to Absolution, but like Knights of Sidonia, they kind of like went over the edge. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, I, I think now I think it's a lot more embarrassing to be a fan, uh, but I can still get down with like some old school muse. Like uh, I think um, I'm just a little too old to like have really been a teenager, like a younger teenager when like emo was like actually a genre, like mm -hmm. when people were using that word to describe it, like it was just like sad alt rock when I was <laughs> there. But um I also, uh, I got into like, for a few years, I got into like industrial goth. Um, and like my favorite band was Orgy when I was 13. Uh -huh. So, you know, I think there's a lot of like music that I'll occasionally put on and just be like, yeah, this is trash. I love it. <laughs> I feel <laughs> so triggered. <laughs> um, and then like, I think Mountain Dew would be the other oh. one. Like, I oh. think just a huge, like, I feel like, when I was probably 14 or so, like Mountain Dew was my personality, you know? <laughs> and really all it was is that like, I like my ADD was killing me and I was just self-medicating with caffeine. But like, I would drink a can of Mountain Dew before bed. And what I know now, if you've ever, like, if you've been like that, like this might be a hint. Uh, what I know now is that like, so they'll tell you that caffeine is supposed to like get you all like hyped up. But if you have ADHD, what it actually will do is it'll help you overcome executive dysfunction. So that's why, you know, they prescribe stimulants for people with ADHD. So yeah, Mountain Dew was definitely something that I was drinking a lot of when I was teen. That was wow. five answers. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. No, I love it. 
Yeah, I was gonna say you, Gloria, you and uh, and TikTok are just keep diagnosing me with so many, <laughs> <laughs> so many different things. Though, like, <laughs> I am scared of TikTok. Mm. I, it is. It is. It's intimidating. Yeah, it is intimidating. The youth definitely make fun of the older generations, either you're millennial or Gen X. Um, they're it's sometimes fine. not kind. They're supposed to. <laughs> I like, guess. Honestly, a lot of the times when they're making fun of us, all they're doing is betraying that they don't understand, which is fine because we don't understand. Yeah, like, yeah. no one understands the generation before or after them. Yeah. My, my TikTok is so limited. I have food, dogs, and that's kind of it, actually. That's all that shows up on my TikTok because I don't spend it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, food I, and animals. I was lucky enough to land myself in, in Dungeons and Dragons TikTok. Oh, and uh, now I just watch a lot of people talking about like what they do in their D&D games. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I was thinking for me, like just, I was literally having this thought today when I was driving. I was like, how did I end up in Desi like TikTok? Like, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't you just got to like one video. And then yeah. <laughs> See, I, don't even know, I don't even know what that is. I don't know what yeah. Desi is. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to. No, okay, perfect. Let's keep it going then. So um, almost in the same, not in the same vein, but um, I want to know, what is your most overused word and why? And use it in a sentence. In by poetry or in my plain speaking? Either or. <laughs> in my poetry, <laughs> I know 100% it is hands. Oh. And that, like, that's just like, that's the thing I always go to. Like, I'm always talking about my hands uh, in poems, um, in my speech patterns. At some point, I caught the like disease. And I think mm -hmm. it's it's always like my brain is just trying to catch up to, to what I'm trying to say. And rather than just stutter whatever word like I just said, I'm, I'm going to throw in a like and um, like all that stuff. Um, but uh, in my poetry, it's definitely hands. I'm always talking about hands. Interesting, interesting. I like it. Let's see if it shows up in tonight's poems. I, uh, I haven't looked, but I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. And I asked this of all our guests, and you said you've seen some of the episodes before, so you probably already know it's coming. What is your favorite food dish to eat? Okay. So this is hard for me because I don't like eating the same things very frequently. Oh. I'm really like, I'm the kind of like picky eater that like, I just had that a week ago, right? Hmm. Um, but uh, I think my answer has to be like fancy cheese. <gasps> you know, like give me like a manchego, you know, oh. like, give me some like good like goat cheese that's been soaked in olive oil and basil. Like hmm. I, uh, this last weekend was my girlfriend's um, birthday, and we uh, were choosing a restaurant because it was her birthday. It was a big deal, and we only had two um, requirements. Like, we had to be able to sit outside because safety, COVID, and uh, they had to have a cheese plate. <laughs> and, like, those were the requirements. And we found a place uh, right here in Cedar Park, so that, that was really nice. Um but uh, actually what I got her for her birthday was a really fancy like marble cheese board and like cheese knives and stuff. Like we just, we love the charcuterie, you know, like I saw this tweet recently that was like, it was, it was geared towards like cis guys, but it was basically like, you know, you, 
you have to figure out what kind of bougie your girl is because not all girls are like clothes bougie. Oh, yes. Like some of them are like book bougie or like, like I am food bougie. Like I do not take me to like Taco Bell. Like I'm not, I'm not going, <laughs> I don't want it. Um, like I, I want like, don't let, we're not just going to order a pizza. You know, like I, I want like a really fancy cheese plate with like some prosciutto and like, like mixed salted nuts. Mm -hmm. And like, and I want like that, like real fancy toast, uh -huh. you know, like it's not even crackers. It's like, like a toasted pita with like herbs. Oh, mm. I want the fanciest shit. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Mm. My mouth is literally watering. I think, I think, the I, like, like I said, I went back and I watched a few um, episodes when you invited me, um, and people were talking about like mashed potatoes, and I'm like, I want expensive cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but you know, like that's uh, I'm willing to spend a significant portion of my monthly budget on fancy cheese, and I'm not ashamed of it. That's right. amazing. I love right. it. I love mm. it. All right. So let's enter our um, our last and final question is speed dating, even though like I am so craving just cheese right now. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> like doesn't this just make you want to speed date me? Like I'm gonna bring it yes. Yes. I think I have some Gruyere in the fridge right now. <laughs> I know. I mean I didn't like a honey crisp apple with some brie on a, mm. like a on a toasted like croissant, just like mm. This this podcast is quickly evolving into cheese, cheese and meats. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> poetry. Cheese and sadness, the glory be story. <laughs> that's a good that's memoir. That's, good. that's your memoir title. <laughs> All right. Well, Sally, we're gonna have to close this speed dating, but we can like talk more about cheese if you want to bring it up in your poetry. But um, you know, fall is we are officially in fall season, right? Um, I don't go outside. <laughs> yeah, well, here in the East Coast, it's, it's fall, it's cold. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, I always love it. Uh, my friends always say this is a time for rest, right? And so my question for you is, in this time of rest, what do you want to take a, like, a beat from? And what do you uh, want to come out of this moment of rest? Um, I'm in general, in the middle of a lot of like big life changes this year. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I would like to not be in crisis for a little while. No, that's true. Um, you know, I, I just, I want to have like a week of normal days. Mm. You know, I, I think I'd like to take a break from like, catastrophizing and um being paranoid anytime like I, I i make any choice in my life right now mm -hmm. um and i think that that's most mostly like that's led to me like making decisions like i'm, I'm still quarantining mm -hmm. um i i i really value like security like in an mm -hmm. emotional sense and I want, um, I just, I want to feel safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so those are all important. And I feel like <laughs> we talk about, that. you know, we have, but we're being more vocal about it. Um, 
And I think people still need to hear that uh, because as some of my students have said, we are going on as, as if like, it's just fucking business as usual, right? Right, like nothing's happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like people just want, is like, oh, is it time to get back to the office yet? And it's like, it, it's never yeah. gonna be time to get back to the office. Yeah. Like this has fundamentally changed our lives. It's fundamentally changed the, the priorities that we have and the level of knowledge of our own internal needs. Mm -hmm. and the parts of the world that are unwilling to make room for that are complaining uh, really loudly, but uh, that's not going to fix it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Well, if anyone out there is watching with uh, a buttload of expendable income, Glory Bean needs a week for her and her loved <laughs> ones in a cabin in a woods. Yes. <laughs> Where she don't have to worry about anything but just enjoying her damn self. So and honestly, like I don't even I don't even mean like I need a week off from work. Like I think I yeah. I like I could just like have like normal boring work days and like watch TV in the evenings and just like be calm, you know? Mm -hmm. That would be great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So Usually, we we have already dove, dove deep. I'm so excited for where, <laughs> where this conversation is going to continue to go to. I do small talk. <laughs> but, no, yeah. big talk. I know. Big I know. Talk. That's why when like we booked you, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. We're going to have some real, <laughs> real, real talk conversation. Um, but at this point, we would like to, because it is words and shit. So before we get into the shit, uh, let's, let's get some words. If you could please give us a poem to to kick us off and nice. as we dive into this conversation headline reads golden state killer motivated by breakup with fiance and i'm reminded that it is my duty to protect the republic with my body my woman with my emotional labor, I'm reminded that a man you fear cannot be left and forgotten. He will climb up out of the newspapers to find you on your lawn in your new home. A dozen reporters sticking microphones in your face. I'm reminded that we are not allowed to leave a man who scares us because it is better for us to be hurt than to allow him to hurt others. And you cannot even call the cops when the man who is frightening you is a cop. Headline reads, Florida sh shooting suspect was troubled after mother's death. And I'm reminded that we are not allowed to leave, not even when we die. That the magic of masculinity is the ability to transform anything into a motive. That a man's grief is a ticking time bomb which can only be diffused by a woman's love. Headline reads, Las Vegas gunman's girlfriend calls him kind, quiet man, and I'm reminded that we are not allowed to be wrong, that women must be mystical truth finders. It is our responsibility to see into the future, to see into a man's heart, to see the truth, and if we do not, then there is blood on our hands, always on our hands. Headline reads, victim in homicide identified as suspect's sister, and I'm reminded of the story of Cain and Abel. I wonder how different that story would have been if Eve had been allowed to have a daughter. Would violence have entered the world this way if there had been a woman there to take the bullet and take the blame? Headline reads, 
Texas church shooter's ex-wife says he held a gun to her head, and I'm reminded that violence is only worthy of the headlines when it is shocking, and that violence is only shocking when it finds you in a school or a church or a movie theater, but that no one is shocked by the violence that finds you in the kitchen or the living room or the bedroom. Headline reads, Texas school shooter kills girl who rejected his advances and embarrassed him in class, and I'm reminded that saying no is just as dangerous as saying yes. I am reminded that we are scolded for being afraid of men and scolded for not anticipating the attack and scolded for speaking up against their violence and scolded for not preventing it. That no one will stop them when they are killing us, but everyone expects us to stop them from killing others. How we lay down our bodies before abusers and keep the world safe and keep their secrets and keep silent. Headline reads, Golden State Killer motivated by breakup with fiance. And still, they ask why we do not leave. And still, they ask why we do not tell. Mm. Okay. I always want to like stand up and walk away, you know, like, like <laughs> you could have, you could have, Glory, you could definitely do whatever you want. If you want to, for the next couple of weeks to lie, I'm out. bye. Uh, yeah, it'd bye. be like poem, boom, boom, <laughs> and then come back to us. Wow, I think, thank you so much for sharing that. I almost, you know. I've seen you perform at APS and I've definitely seen videos of you and um, it's been a while, but I'm so glad that I got to, you know, hear you and I forget how, not forget, I know how powerful you are, but it's just so nice to be reminded, right, of that your words, like I think, like you said, you're not going to sugarcoat it, you're going to be very direct. Um, And that's, I think, why you are a champion and you won so many of these poems, these competitions, um, because you talk about these very hard truths, you know, um, in these different perspectives that were are always constantly silent. So thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate it. And again, always amazing to hear your voice and your words. So yeah, I just, I kind of want to know, like, because you're so direct with your poetry and, and you, again, you never hold back. Um, it's where do you like, was it the reason why you write from that place is because someone told you, you know, you should be silenced or have you always been like that? Or are you doing this for like the women that you know that couldn't speak up? Um, where is it coming from? Oh, wow. That is a, a lot of different layers. Um, I, th- this poem in particular sort of slapped me in the face. Um, I, remember the day that they actually um, caught uh, the Golden State Killer. And it was all over the news that they'd finally caught this guy after so many years. And um, the the headlines started coming out about it. And I kept seeing like headlines about his ex-fiance. Um, and I was like, it has been so long since she was even a part of his life. Mm-hmm. And um, isn't that just... Uh, isn't that just it, you know, like the pressure that is put on the people surrounding um, those who 
for whatever reason, usually you know, a mix of entitlement and um, like a history of, of abusing others lash out in these ways that get attention. But then you look at the statistics of, of how many people are dealing with that kind of violence on like a, a personal level all the time. Um, I definitely, when I was younger, was not the kind of person who was going to talk about any of this. I actually, um, when I was in college, I was in a, a class called Modern American Poetry. Um, and that, it was a great class because it was sort of like a higher, like an upper level, like junior, senior uh, class in college. And one of like our final project was each a student in the class and obviously I went to a very small like liberal arts university yeah. there were only like 16 people in class um, but each of us got a school of poets um, to cover for and, and we got a day of the class and we had to teach the unit on that um, school of poets and each of us chose uh, a different school of poets. And mm -hmm. looking at the lists of available schools, um, I chose the feminist poets, which it was like Adrian Rich and Lucille Clifton and Audre Lorde um, and uh, a, a few others. And after class one day, because this it was the kind of class where like everyone just kind of stayed in the room after class time was over and just like sat around talking <laughs> and tried to like get time with a professor. Um, after class one day, one of my uh, um, classmates was like, I think it's really interesting uh, because I know so many of the people in this class and I know they're writing that so many of us chose like the exact school that we would have fit into. And I was like, I don't know that I would really like fit into the feminist poets. And she looked at me and she was like, Gloria, do you even read your own poetry? And I was like, no. <laughs> And uh, at the t because at the time I was writing, I, you know, this was probably 2009, 2010. At the time I was mostly writing poems about being a mom. And I didn't mm. consider that perspective to be necessarily feminist. And I hadn't um, learned all of the things about the world that I sort of know uh, more about now. Um, and I hadn't been to a poetry slam yet. And I hadn't uh, had that education that you really can only get from slam. like. There's this very like anti-academic, uh, personal narrative-based, like um, real-world experience education that you get from a slam because you were, for the most part, in slam. If you're not writing from your own perspective, you get in trouble for it, which is appropriate for the kind of like the venue and the expectations of that genre. Whereas, like uh, I think a screenwriter or a novelist will often write and. It, that's a whole other like conversation, but they're often like writing explicit fiction, right? Um, but there's this understanding in slam that if you are writing from something that is not your own experience, the poem's going to tell you that, and your experience is probably going to be at least adjacent enough mm -hmm. that you have witnessed it or that you are talking about something that you actually know about. Mm -hmm. And so it's like taking a history class but instead of using a textbook you're only using primary documents mm. and there's that education i think that i've gotten through slam has led my poetry to the place where it is now where once i understand something 
my poems are lesson plans, honestly. Like it's, I, I, someone finally explained this to me in a way that I understand. I've misunderstood it for years. And now I want to write something that is going to help someone who doesn't get it yet understand that. Mm. Um, and a lot of times I'm writing from a perspective of seven different sources and experiences and conversations that I've had and trying to find a way to distill that into like something that is three minutes that you can take with you that can potentially change your mind or at least if you're already on my side give you an argument that you can take into a conversation with someone else mm. that's such an interesting concept it's like a poem as a lesson plan yeah. uh and definitely uh your, your poems have been taught you know guest appearance group piece I told her that she needed to stay off camera and she was like, I'm going to be quick. <laughs> I love it. Sorry. Uh, but your your poems have, have definitely been taught and made an impact. I know I've used some of your poems. I reached out to you in, in oh. workshops that I've taught. Uh, because you do, you articulate uh, you articulate thoughts and uh, so, so well. Um, and a, a lot of what you've, you've done, at least the work that we're familiar with out in the world, has been uh, through SLAM and specifically on a SLAM team. Right, always in community with with other poets. Uh, so there's definitely a collaborative, you know, um, air about being on a slam team. How has that kind of like um, collaboration like enhanced your your writing, your life, and and what do you see it doing in your life these days? I think the only reason I'm still in slam is the fact that there are teams. Um, I think, you know, I got in back in 2012. And it was super fun for a few months and getting to know people. And my thing, I, my first year of slamming was I, I never repeated poems. I was gonna mm -hmm. write something new every time I got on stage. It was embarrassing if I didn't have three new poems every week for the slam. <laughs> um, you know, and, and people commented on that a lot, like how, how much I write. Um, and a lot of those poems were not fully formed and weren't fully like ready. And then in 2013, I made my first uh, two slam teams that year. Um, <laughs> I made the B-Sides team that went to Southern Fried. And then I also made the Neo Soul slam team that went to nationals. And we ended up winning group piece finals that year. And it was an incredible experience to write with other poets and to perform with them and I have a background in theater. Um, in high school, I did theater. And in, in college, I uh, got a minor in theater. And so being on stage with other people felt really secure and really right. And it enabled me to write poems that I didn't necessarily have the perspective to write on my own. Um, I wrote a poem that first year in 2013 with another poet, uh, Victoria Murray, called I Don't Pray. And it was from the perspective, me writing um, as someone who is very jaded by my experiences in church and the way that I've been treated by people of faith and her writing as a person of faith who is like, I don't pray for more money and I don't pray for success. Like I, I, I pray because it, it like fulfills me. And that is like, that's a poem I never could have written because that's not my experience. Um, 
and that sort of spark of collaboration through the years, like getting to write with Teresa Johnson. Man, you want to talk about someone who is just a brilliant writer and a brilliant performer and like uses slam to make an argument. Like Teresa gets up and does like Lincoln Douglas debate for three minutes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, um, and writing poems with her is just this this intense thing. She is my absolutely my best friend, yeah. but also like one of my number one collab collaborators. Like we have created so many things together. Um, a few years ago, I, I think at this point, it's been like seven years, uh, six or seven years. Uh, we, our first show at Frontera Fest uh, was the show uh, Contipotence. And we, it was Teresa and our friend Danielle and, and, and I, and we use, so Danielle's a storyteller and Teresa and I do slam. And so we took poems from Slam and we did some group pieces and Danielle told a story and we ended it with a song. It was like this 25 minute play, but it was all three of us working together and having rehearsal two days a week meant I got to see two of my best friends like twice every week. And we were creating something and we had this sense of purpose and it was just this amazing thing. And we went on to do that again. Um, four more times. Uh, we did five shows with Frontera Fest in five years um, up until the pandemic uh, uh, canceled the festival in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and well, no, uh, it canceled the festival in 2021. So like the festival is in February. So it was like right before the pandemic in 2020. Um, but we, uh, we then worked with um, Doc uh yes. amazing neo soldier um poet like and and she has a completely different style from teresa or i so like the things that the three of us wrote together were just like fantastic that that show was called bitches anonymous and then we had a show called context that we wrote with uh saunder who's a poet out of uh, austin who's uh, uh in houston now and um then we wrote uh with uh Elwin, um this show, Please Stay, that was maybe one of the most important pieces of art that I've been a part of in my entire life. It was a 25 minute play about um, mental health and specifically about suicide. But and at our first rehearsal, I was like, okay, we're writing a, a 25 minute play about suicide. And our only goal is that at the end of the show, everyone in the room feels incredibly hopeful. Mm. Like that's the goal. Mm. And with all the group pieces that we wrote for that show and all the individual poems, like, we started from a place that was like, here's how it feels and here's what we're experiencing and here's like things in our lives that have been traumatizing and here's all of these things that we're dealing with and here's reasons to stay and here's like ways to sort of deal with your brain being mean to you. And like, and at the very end of the show, we passed around these baskets that had these cards on them and on the back of every card was like, we hand wrote like 300 of these. Uh, we had these little cards that were like, here's a, stay for this, right? And it was like, stay for too much whipped cream on your hot chocolate. Uh, okay. Stay for the smell of the grass after rain. And it was like, we were super intentional that like nothing written on the cards had to do with money, had to do with other people, had to do with anything that was beyond your control and seemed out of reach but just these really simple things and 
that environment, like collaborating with two people who have been through experiences with their mental health, where they were considering suicide, where they were dealing with misdiagnosis or a lack of diagnosis or struggling to get help from the medical professionals that they were dealing with. Um, it creates that sense of like not alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are so few opportunities the way our society is structured. There are so few opportunities in life for not alone. And we mm -hmm. just wanted not only to have this experience where for the five months that we were working on this play, we were not alone, but also that we projected this feeling of not alone into other people's lives. And the feedback we got on that play was so phenomenal. And the show after that was called Choice. It was a show about uh, reproductive rights. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I just, yeah, I think, um, <laughs> you know, we were, we have like always a list of po uh, poetry questions or just questions in general. And, you know, one of our, the ones that I think to be had prepared was, you know, how has collaboration ha have enhanced your writing? And it really, I think you, I think this is the first time really that a poet said, I stay for SLAM because of the teams. I stay in SLAM because of the, the people, right? Yeah. Um, I'm, I I'm actually not as competitive as my resume would make you think that I am. <laughs> um, it's more about being in community. Yeah. It is. Like, my goal, honestly, my goal is always to get second place. I am the happiest I could possibly be if I get second place. And here's why. Um, you want to do well enough that people are excited about your work and that people... Mm -hmm like respect you and they think that you're like they take you seriously right like you want that achievement but you don't want to win so often that they start to resent you because mm -hmm. then like you yeah. you start to like pull away from the community a certain way mm -hmm. um some of the happiest experiences i've had in slam have been like the first time someone that i mentored in slam beats me in like a big slam it is complete joy Mm -hmm. um like I, I i was the coach for the first outside voices team and i got to coach um uh Addie l and um Elowen out of uh, austin poetry slam scene and um the first time that like Addie beat me in a quarterfinal i was over the moon and everyone's like i'm so sorry you should have won i was like no that's my baby <laughs> like she did it yeah no, so tr so true, and it is it is so gratifying to see people, you know, come come up and like just mm -hmm. see progression, right? Uh, and the evolution of people in their writing. Uh, um, so, with with that being said, I would love to see maybe where your writing is evolving into, and if you could give us another poem, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm gonna walk off stage. Walk Go for it. Whatever you want to do, Glory. This is your show. You know. Coming to the stage next. Y'all give it up for Glory B. Glory, Glory. It is easier to drink than to go to therapy. It is easier to drink than to cry in public. It is easier to drink than to say the thing that thing that you've never said out loud to anyone ever. It is easier to drink and to notice the way that no one in the room notices that you exist, it is easier to drink than to be alone. It's easier to drink than to process your lonely childhood, than to process your abusive relationship, than to question your lack of self-worth, than to feel your feelings, it is easier to drink. 
It is easier to buy three shots in five minutes than to acknowledge that you were just sexually assaulted in a bar and three of your friends laughed while they watched. It is easier to drink than tell your mother that you spent the last three Thanksgivings wanting to carve up your wrists like the turkey. It is easier to self-medicate than to properly medicate. When you don't have insurance and you don't have a diagnosis and you were raised to believe that asking for help is a weakness and you'd rather pretend that nothing is wrong and everything is fine and this is fun, we're all having fun. It is easier to have a drink than to have depression. It's easier to have a drink than to have a panic attack in public, easier to lock yourself in the bathroom and cry for three hours straight than to Tell your friends why you locked yourself in the bathroom and cried for three hours straight. Mm -hmm. It is easier to pass out drunk on a stranger's floor than to admit that you just don't want to go home. It is easier to drink. It is so easy to drink. It's easy. But it is better to speak your truth than to hide under a bottle. Mm. It is better to tell your friends what happened than to pick at your scabs with a shattered wine glass. It is better to tell your therapist what happened than to drink until you don't remember. It is better to cut people out of your life who would rather you be fun than healthy. It is better to know that you can make it through the night without oblivion, to know that you can stand and say the hardest things without your voice cracking, to know that you can stand without stumbling and move the fuck on. It is better to feel your feelings in the fullness of their depth. It is better to have perspective. It is better to reach out. It is better to cry. Today, I am six years, five months, and 28 days sober. Mm. And it has not gotten any easier, but it has gotten so much better. That's great. Great. Uh, great. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. I don't know if you have a swivel chair if you want to just like swivel or uh, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> there we go. Uh, there is there's so much I want to dive into with 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 you and this conversation and the poetry. Um and I think to your point, you know, like you you don't do small talk. Uh, so I want to dive into you know the the deep and an important conversation um, of what a lot of people are going through right now. Um, you were a teacher for a very long time, and recently decided to leave that field, mm -hmm. uh, leave that career. And I think it was just from what I know and what I've seen you talk about was very much um, motivated by I think just a lack of compassion for safe work environments and uh, uh, a lot of that. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the the decision to leave teaching because, you know, so many other poets do make their living as as teachers, you know, that's yeah. kind of the career avenue that a lot of writers go through and it's becoming increasingly more difficult to feel secure in environments like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, my plan was to be a teacher before my plan was even to be a writer. Um, my major in college was um, English language arts education. 
Um, I was going to be a high school English teacher. That's what I was going to do. It was the plan. Um, and when I graduated from college, it was actually during student, student teaching that I first went to a slam um, and found out that like that whole everything exists. Um, I knew what slam was, but I thought that it like happened in New York and Chicago. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize there was a local one until uh, 2012. And I was student teaching at the time and going through a lot personally. That was the year that I got divorced. It was the year that um, I graduated from college and some really hard things happened. I had a friend um, die while I was um, student teaching. And um, it was a really intense year and sort of slam was there to be a, a release valve, hmm. but teaching and beginning my teaching career at that time um, just kind of kept putting the pressure on. And there's a lie that they'll tell you that they'll, that it'll get easier when, when you get experience and it, it never gets any, any easier, partially because um, they'll just keep throwing things at you and they'll just keep taking anything that they possibly can. Um, and as soon as you get good at something, you will be the person in charge of it for everyone. And as soon as you're struggling, they want you out the door. Um, and the, the atmosphere for teachers, even before the pandemic, was I, I, I've felt for years like we were furniture, like we were seen as replaceable. Like we just have to get someone with a degree to agree to be a teacher. And even if it doesn't work out, at least for a year, we've got that room filled. And um, they have a lot of things that they'll call professional development and they're just meetings. There is not a lot of actual professional development that helps you grow in your craft. And, and the ones that do are expensive and on your own dime and on your own time. Um, and it came to a point um, where I actually finally went and uh, sought a diagnosis for ADHD because it was affecting my work. Um, and I had been through K through 12, I'd been through college, I'd been through uh, several years in Chibi, you know, like several years of teaching full time, raising a, a daughter as a single mom, um, being a, a leader in the Austin Slam community, being on multiple Slam teams, running a little publishing house all on my own, and that I could handle. And suddenly, like teaching, they kept putting on more and more and more and more to the point where I couldn't handle it anymore. And it was before the pandemic. And then the pandemic happened, and we were also responsible for keeping things clean and responsible for keeping track of who sat where and responsible for contact tracing and responsible for all of these things. And I was grieving the loss of two of the most important people in my entire life. Both of my grandmothers were instrumental in raising me. Um, and through grief and fear for my sister's life and all of that, any time it seemed like I was cracking, the administration would call me into a meeting and tell me how badly I was doing. And I would say like, I'm sorry, I haven't slept in three days. And they would say, well, you need to get your stuff together because like it's for the kids. And like, 
this idea that as a teacher, because, like because your job is so important, you don't get to be human anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and it finally came to a conversation um, with my principal where there, we were sort of like, essentially I was like, it's not gonna get better until the pandemic is over. It's not gonna get better until there's been some time from these like horrible experiences that I've had as a result of the pandemic and losing family members and going through all of this. And they were like, well, we don't have patience for that. And because you couldn't get better in a month while it's still happening, um, we would like you to not come back next year. And so I was felt I was left with this choice of like, okay, like I don't want to be at the school anymore. I was probably going to try to like get another job anyway. But that experience made me realize like I didn't want to go to another school. I didn't want to find a different campus. I didn't want to find a different principal. I didn't want to find a different teaching position. I needed an environment where it was going to be okay if I took a day off. I needed an environment where it was going to be okay for me to be a person. And I don't think that that teachers are allowed to be people. And yeah. now in my perspective, like I, I've got this job where I'm working as like, I'm, I'm in publishing now, which is amazing and wouldn't have happened if it weren't for slam. Um, I'm, I'm just like a parent. And I found myself at the beginning of the school year at some of these parent meetings at my daughter's school and constantly being the person in the room is reminding the parents, like, you need to understand what teachers are going through and you need to like, don't email and then email again 12 hours later. Like, if they don't email you back in 72 hours, send another email. But, like, you need to understand what they're going through and how much harder things are now than they were two years ago. Um, and just doing the best I can to advocate for teachers. But it is... It is a career that a lot of society's ills keep getting pushed on to. Mm. Um, you talk about like issues of childhood poverty. Like, well, how can schools address this? And you talk about issues of children with trauma and how can schools address this? And you talk about like any issue in our culture that is endemic is foisted onto teachers who do not have the training and do not have the resources and do not have the time to deal with it. And unless we are willing to pay to put more social workers in schools, yeah. unless we're willing to pay to put more counselors in schools, um, those those programs it's it's like an unfunded mandate like how how am i going to be responsible for suicide prevention and nutrition and reading <laughs> you know like it's um it's it's really hard what we do to teachers mm -hmm. and so i um i'm not doing that anymore <laughs> no that's you know i think Again, we just need reminders of that because, you know, teachers are still people, you know. Um, teachers and, are people more than anyone else, I think. Yeah. Like the, the, the level of secondary trauma that you experience as a teacher is incredible and almost no one talks about it. Mm -hmm. You know, teachers are mandatory reporters and because we are dealing with kids every single day, you hear stories from the kids, you know what's going on in their lives, you know you witnessed things, you know, I had an experience at one school that I was working at where I broke up a fight and I was sent home and told to come back, but I had to go home to change clothes because there was blood on my clothes from the fight. 
and they expected me to very quickly go home, change, and get, get back as soon as I could. You know, like, that's the kind of stress that we're putting on teachers. Like, I had just witnessed someone make another person bleed, and the only concern was, how quickly can you get back to your classroom in clean clothes? Mm -hmm. <sighs> <You> know, <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 no. It's, it's okay, because it's like, you know, I we deal with that also in a collegiate level as well, and it's... Um, the same concerns, everything, like, why, you know, we are human too, like, we are going through the same things, our, you know, yes, our students are going through a lot, but we have children at home, you know, we also have lives too, like, it's not just the students that were affected, we also went through this as well, and just yeah. the idea of, like, but we have to be there for our students, it's like, but is even, like, our president, or even is the admin, or the higher ups, like, are they there for even for us? You know, but they're yeah. not. It's because it's again money. The year that I was on uh, Neo Soul in, in 2016, when we made final stage at nationals, um, one of our group pieces that we did in semifinals to make final stage was a group piece uh, called Cup Song, and it was about um, teen suicide. And I was kind of in the middle of uh, Teresa Johnson and Brian Francis. Um, and they were talking like statistics and like mm -hmm. motivational posters and like, we need to do something for these kids and, um, we need to tell them it's going to be okay. And, and I'm standing in the middle, like, okay, here's the deal. Like I'm a teacher and I'm actually in the room with these kids and we need to stop telling them it's going to be okay. And we need to start telling them like, I'm here with you until it's okay. Yeah. And, like it's a different thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and in that poem, I talk about. So one of the years that I was um, teaching sixth grade, we had an outbreak of cutting. Um, and I'm sorry, I should have given content warnings. I feel like if people know if you're talking to me, like they're, there's content <laughs> um, But there was an outbreak and it, it became extremely like popular among the sixth graders. Like they were trying it um, and there were rumors about who was cutting and who wasn't. And um, I felt like for several months, like almost at least once a week, I had to call the sixth grade counselor and have him come down to my room to pick up a kid. And it was like, it was literally just a phone call. It was like, Hey Matt, it's happening again. Can you come by? You know, like that was like, that was the code. Um, and we had a super last minute, like training the teachers. And I was sitting in this training with like a bunch of other teachers and this guy who clearly has never experienced depression in his life. Um, says something to the effect of like, well, how do we know which ones are really doing it? Which ones are doing it for attention? <laughs> and I was like, and, and the line that I wrote for that poem is like, and I looked around this room and realized that I was the only person in the room with the scars to qualify me to fix what was wrong with what he was saying. Mm -hmm. You know, like even the people running the training didn't have any experience and didn't, didn't have that firsthand knowledge of like why people try that and why people continue to do it once they have tried um and and what it takes to get past that kind of emotional struggle mm -hmm. um and the, the the experiences that i had teaching i've written so many poems about teaching um mm -hmm. i i don't perform them anymore because i feel like it's weird to do poems about teaching when you're not a teacher anymore mm. but um 
it was an extremely intense period of my life. Nine years in classrooms, most of them working with students who were um, living in poverty, um, just based on the school we had. I, the school I was working at was like an 89% kids mm -hmm. on do, do lunch and kids who were economically disadvantaged. Um, and you just, you come in contact with so many different truths and it's constantly like, the adults don't have those experiences and then, so they don't respect them. And being the adult in the room who had that experience when I was younger always meant that I was in a position to have to out my trauma, have to out myself to my colleagues and my peers, to have to take this situation and make it really personal for everyone in the room so that, not, not like, I wouldn't like out myself in a big meeting, but like one-on-one, -on -one, like when someone said something like what that guy said. Yeah. Like when I would talk to him, I would be like, here's why what you said was hurtful to me. And here's why if you ever say that in front of a student, I will be so disappointed in you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, like you said, that was, that was nine years of your life um, uh, with students, but now uh, I, I want to try and, you know, like land this conversation on maybe a positive <laughs> note for, yeah. for the present and the future. You said something yeah, okay. in there that really, caught my attention, which was you now have a job that you wouldn't, that like SLAM made possible, yes. right? That yeah. you wouldn't have if it wasn't for SLAM. Can you talk about that? Cause you know, like we all, nobody makes a, I mean, maybe some people make a career out of SLAM, but like, right, you know, like a lot of things, people think of SLAM as like a hobby, but you're now in a job that you said mm -hmm. you wouldn't have if it wasn't for SLAM. No, Can you talk I, about that? I would not have been able to build a resume out of my teaching experience to get the job that I have now. Um, I've always kind of want, had an interest in publishing. Um, in 2014, I started a uh, super small press um, publishing poets uh, in Austin, um, publishing some of my own books, some of uh, Teresa's. Um, I published Professor Jay and Doc and Victoria Murray um, and Ash Vernon. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, Colleen, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm blanking on other people, but like I, I've, I've published over a dozen different poets and, and also published uh, for teams um, for like their fundraising chat books and things. Um, so a lot of like little anthologies like that. And all of the, the work that I've done through SLAM and those connections and, and publishing books for those people. Mm -hmm. um, I got to put on my resume that I had experience in publishing. I, uh, I got to put on my resume that I had experience um, on a board of directors. I got to put on my resume that I had experience um, maintaining records for an organization, um, maintaining spreadsheets, that I had um, experience um, planning and running events, that I had experience uh, doing design work. Um, mm -hmm. all of these things that we just kind of do in SLAM. Like, mm -hmm. there are so many things that need to get done to make a show happen. You know, someone has to make a flyer. Someone has to make a Facebook event. Someone has to um, invite people. Someone has to get up on the mic every week and, and talk about this event that's coming up. Someone has to show up and set up chairs. Someone has to figure out who's working the door and who's going to host and who's, like, who's the DJ for this event. And... Um, there are so many administrative tasks that you end up doing um, as a result of just getting involved in volunteering with the SLAM community. 
um, that by the end of it, like the things that I was able to put on my resume, not like I was padding my resume, but like taking a step back and going like, no, I've been, I've been on the board of an organization of an organization running a weekly event in Austin for eight years that yeah. belongs on my resume. And that is work that I did and is yeah. valuable and important to this community. Um, and really like seeing it, not just like slam is just this thing I do on Tuesday nights. It's just like this fun little thing I do. <laughs> like there's so much that goes into it and there's skills that cross over into other areas of your life. And so now I'm working, um, as an editorial coordinator, I, I work on medical research journals and I spend most of my day emailing uh, doctors, uh, trying to get them to fill out their paperwork and <laughs> format their uh, submissions correctly and arranging for peer reviews and, and things like that. And it's uh, <sighs> it's it's something I can do from home and it's something that I can do where if I'm having a really hard day mentally, emotionally, like I can just put on music and work at a slow pace. Mm -hmm. If I'm feeling really hype, I can get yesterday's work done and then today's work because uh -huh. like all that anyone cares about is that my work is done at the end of the week. And that kind of trust and respect is something I was always missing from teaching. Mm. Mm. Well, good, good for you, says Truly Be Vain. And also, as uh, someone who is married to a nurse, I know how difficult it is to hound down doctors for yes. any sort of information. You know so. what? Like, I, I like to joke that like my job now isn't that different than teaching middle school. Like, there's not a ton of difference between the ego of a middle school boy and a, uh, and a, a doctor. You know, and like all yeah. I need is for you to just do your homework. <laughs> Please, like, yeah. I, I know that you really want this this published, and you really want to get an A on it. Yeah. So maybe you should do your paperwork. Oh my god. Oh, man. That's great. You know, I really appreciate your like your trajectory of of teaching to really the empowerment of again going back to this collective of writing or creating and publishing um, your friends and, you know, your team members and kind of having this overall circle back to um, community within the poetry community. And I think that's, that's beautiful. Um, you know, we can keep talking and talking for, for so long. Um, so great to hear you. And the way that Clearly. you talk, Clearly. it's like, so, <laughs> no, it's just like, so, so nice. And it's like, I'm, I've been talking to a friend for a long time, you know, it's just, uh. it's and I love to hear it. Um, Next time we need a charcuterie board. Yes. <laughs> yes. Pull but, some cheese. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I guess what I want to say is, I know we don't want to go, but if you can just bless us with, you know, another look, another swivel, your words. <laughs> we, so we got time for one more poem? One more poem. All right. Bring us home. So quick story about this poem. Um, I like to do this thing where I go to the slam and I write a poem and I have to finish it before I get on stage. Um, and uh, so I will arrive at the slam at, at like seven and then we have the draw and I find out what order I'm in and I just have to finish my poem before that happens. So this was, um, there was a brief period of time like when people were vaccinated in June and like the numbers were good in Austin and I like went to a couple slams and then like 
we went back into the red and <laughs> I had to come back home and quarantine again. But I, this, the, this is the last poem that I got to write at a slam live. Um, and I'd like to do that, so. Bees don't know that they are pollinators. It's not a term they invented for themselves. As far as the bee knows, touching their bodies to the center of the flower, bathing in the pollen within is just an instinct, just a job with a purpose, just a joy, a delicious must do, an imperative, a need, a yes please. Honeybees, masters of memory, remember every flower they have touched. How to get back to that flower. How long it takes to get to that flower. How long it's been since their last visit. How long it takes for flowers to produce new pollen. From flower to flower to flower, they move, collecting what they need, shaking their bodies to vibrate the pollen loose, dropping what they have in order to collect more. They spread the wealth around, not because they know that they are pollinators, but because it's what they do because it's how they live, because it's who they are. Bees cannot tell you anything about the anther or the stigma of a flower. Do not know the word petal, but feel the call of the color across the meadow. Go where they are needed without knowing that they are. Bees are strangely adapted to pollination. Their bodies are fuzzy trapping particles easily. Their bodies carry an electrostatic charge, so particles stick to them like magnets. Honeybees have specialized structures on their legs called a scopa or a corbicula. Their bodies are made from birth to drink nectar and gather pollen, but they do not know that they are pollinators. They do not know that the world would have no almonds without them. They do not know that apples and cranberries and melons and blueberries and cucumbers and celery and strawberries and beets and coconuts and carrots and mangoes and pears would wither on the vine without them, would grow to maturity and wilt before passing on their genes, would yield crops of dust and hunger if it weren't for bees and their activity and their labor and their work. But bees do not know that they are pollinators. So how dare you call yourself worthless? How dare you presume to know whether anyone would care if you were gone? How dare you close your mouth around a pill or a pistol with the sorry excuse that the world would be better without you and all of the beautiful things that you don't even know that you are doing? All this language and science can tell us the place bees take in the ecosystem, can describe to us the instincts that draw them to your garden, can observe their behavior and track the gifts bestowed by evolution, but bees do not know that they are pollinators. Mm. So if you do not yet know your purpose, if you feel as if all you do is flit from pretty thing to pretty thing. If you cannot remember the last flower that you found, then eat an almond or an apple or a strawberry. Make a salad of cucumber, broccoli, cabbage, carrot, and sunflower seeds with slices of pear and dried cranberries. And remember, you bring more to this world 
than you could ever know. And if you leave us now, I do not know what on earth we will do without you next spring. Glory be, master of the extended metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) More poems about bees. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and I think was like, oh, is Glory be going to be like, and I too am a bee. I was ready for it. And I don't think you used the word hands in any of your poems. No, you didn't. I definitely did in the first one. Ah, ah, boo. All right, all right. Well, well, almost, almost. Oh, stop it. So thank you so much for this incredible conversation and sharing your amazing work. Um, I know we have it displayed on screen at the bottom of the screen, but for anybody that's listening to the podcast after this, where can people find you? Where can people find your work? All yeah. of that good stuff. Can you, can um, you talk about So many of my poems um, are up on Right About Now, um, and you can find a lot of them if you go to my Facebook. Um, it's facebook.com slash glory.poet. Um, and, or going to write about now's, um, Facebook page or YouTube page and searching glory be poetry. There's a, there's a singer that goes by glory be as well. So you might get some of her stuff. Um, you can find me on Twitter, um, at being glory, um, the word being and glory with an I, um, but, uh, I mostly tweet about politics and dungeons and dragons. So not a lot of poetry, mostly Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, I have a website if uh, you are interested in having me like design a website for you. Um, I took a course in UX design um, and have been maintaining records for the Slam for a while. So um, that's a, a, a service I provide. Um, and then like Chibi, you asked me to put my Venmo. Um, I feel weird asking people for money, but I will take it. I will. (laughs) Um, And I will buy expensive cheese. Um, You know, I'll I'll probably pay my rent. Yeah, there you go. I love it. Um, My my Venmo is Glory, uh, G-L-O-R-I dash Adams. Might be Gloria Adams, actually. No, I should check. (laughs) (sighs) It's either Glory or Gloria Adams. There you go. Well, one more time for Glory B, y'all. Uh, Glory and I do have slated to write a group piece about our love for Excel spreadsheets oh via God. Google Documents. It's going to happen. Google spreadsheets, like <laughs> Google spreadsheets knocks Excel out of the water. And I, I can't explain to people why, but there's just something like it's, it's, mm, I think it's just that you can remove columns on Google Sheets and you can't remove columns on Excel. So if you want a spreadsheet that's only seven columns wide, you can do it in Google Sheets. And for some reason, that's just so exciting to me. Ah. <laughs> Coming soon. But thank you. Thank you so much for this uh, for this incredible hour. Y'all show Thanks some Thanks for having me. This time. was a, a nice break from um, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again. Thank you, Glory. All right, bye. Uh, okay, friend. Oh, man. I think, um, you know, we always have to, like, kind of just reflect on that. I just, 
feel very validated, right? Um, over and over again, right? That this pandemic is still happening, that we still have feelings around it, that we're still not okay, and it's okay to say we're not okay, right? Yeah. And that we're still feeling the effects. People, many people are still feeling the effects of it. And it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm very, very glad for Lori's words. Um, and like I said, it's always so amazing to like hear her and advocate in such like very, very needed and well, you know, um, like subjects that just, that are hard to speak of, but are always needed. Always necessary. Glory be definitely a necessary voice in this world. So we were just excited to have her on um, for sure. Well, uh, thank you to the audience who tuned in tonight and watched live. The comment section was very active tonight. So loving it. Uh, and thank you if you are listening to this on the podcast afterwards. Uh, you know, we are, we are always here at your convenience. Um, yeah. And then if you're not following us, uh, where you at? <laughs> What are you waiting for? What are you doing? Okay. Uh, but please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at words and shh, right? Um, the shh, there's no IT. Um, definitely, um, you know, we would love to you to follow, and that's where we show you the most up to date um, information who's coming up next every week. Because we have some incredible people coming up next. But whether this is your first time uh, tuning in or whether you've been here before, you know, you can always find past episodes wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. You just go to youtube.com slash words and shit. It's that simple. <laughs> and if not, definitely, you know, if you've been, a, if it, this is your first time or not, um, come back next week, same time, same place uh, for our next feature. That's going to be Anthony, the poet Flores, a local San Antonio iconic poet. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, a San Antonio institution for sure. Uh, so yeah. until next time, stay safe out there. Okay, bendiciones. Mwah.